All right, welcome. Teaching others also. We're going to go to Third John. Third John. This will be uh, our second session in uh, the subject of soul health. And I hope that uh, you're buying into this because of its biblical slash spiritual nature. Now, in modern vocabulary that people are thinking of these days, they talk about you know, your mind and your heart, and they talk about mental health and all that. As a child of God, if you're born again, and you're not a child of God if you're not, you're not, you're not born a child of God, you're born again to become a child of God. But as a Christian, as a child of God, our soul health, which as we looked at in our first lesson, we, the, the last point that we talked about is that it has to be maintained maintained so soul health is like your walk okay and we're going to look at three thoughts if we get through them in this particular session and so we're talking about maintaining soul health is to be maintained now <clears throat> we spoke last time we taught pointed out the, the references in psalms 119 uh, verse 47 and 48 and 59 10 about the idea of Pre-event, we would pronounce it nowadays, prevent. We speak of preventive. Some people spell it preventative, okay? All that is just get the forest, not just dividing up little trees. The forest is that we want to focus on things before they get out of order, become in disorder, disarray, uh, degeneration. The best way to restore your soul's health. Now, we'll go back to Third John, verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So this is a gesture from the heart of one believer to another, of a leader. John was an apostle. He was a teacher. Uh, he knew the Lord. He suffered for the Lord, etc. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now on your handout, on your PDF there, we have that verse, and it starts off by saying, walking is one of the best exercises for the soul. We're going to draw a parallel. One of the best exercises that you can do for the human body is walking. And it is very, very good for the soul. Uh, compare that to ground pounding as in running. Uh, I know Doc would jog, but if you looked at the manner in which he jogged, he jogged barefooted. And at the pace he jogged, I've been there when he was, he wasn't beating his body to death like you, people go out and they buy specialized shoes to handle the impact and they run and they beat and they pound. Uh, the famous golfer Tiger Woods said one of the main regrets he had in life when it comes to sports was that he ran and jogged so much in his youth, in his first 10, 15 years of, of golfing. Physically walking is safe for you, and it's good for you. 
You know, it was nothing when I was coming up to walk three to six hours a day just cooling out horses, we called it. Every horse had to exercise every day. If they weren't going to be exercised as an out on the racetrack, that we would make sure they walked 30 to 45 minutes. So every one of them had to be walked. When we did exercise them, you'd bring them back, clean them up, and you would walk them another 30 minutes, cooling them down, give them a little bit of water at a time. So it was nothing as a young fellow to walk, you know, three to five, four to six hours a day. Uh, walking is one of those things that can make such a huge difference. So in the Christian life, then, the parallel, the illustration is good for us because walking is good, okay, for your health. And so walking is one of the best exercises for the soul. We, we mentioned last time, to me, every time I read Third John, where he says in verse 2, I, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth, I've mentioned before, what if your body manifested and mirrored your soul? People would go to church and they'd just slide right out of the pew because their soul's so weak and unattended to. And then he says that you walk in truth. He said, I have no greater joy, verse 4, than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know, I've been in places, uh, different places around the world uh, and it was my privilege to be in those places in the line of duty when it came to gospel work. But you take places, for example, like Papua New Guinea, where many, many of the places you go, you're going to get there on foot. And you're walking through these tropical mountains, hours of humidity. And uh, for me, when I knew I was going up there for, you know, six weeks or whatever, I would train for a good three months ahead of time. I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep up with, with Ted if I didn't, because he did it every day. And he washed his diet and he did all those things. And he was, it, was, it was a way of life for him. And it was so good for his body that his body, even when he had had his second heart attack, his body could still function amazingly. So much so that they had to go inside him to, to realize how bad things had gotten. What is the point? Our soul, he said, I wish you would prosper as your soul does. So our soul is more important. So how is your soul walking? How's it going? You know, uh, when you're walking those mountains and stuff, footwear matters. Uh, if you had really inefficient footwear, you're going to know it in no time at all. And if you're in, in places where you need, you know, footwear with grip and support and supporting your ankles and stuff, you could be in a bad shape early on. Uh, when you're walking... Those mountains, you better have a way of carrying water with you or getting water, and usually you better carry it with you because there's not that many good sources that a, a, an outsider like me could handle when it came to fluids and water. You have to be what? Be ready. So walking is one of the best exercises for the soul. And so when you're walking, there's some lines there for you to write some stuff in. For example, are you walking in truth? Are you walking in what you have read and know? And number two, are you reading your Bible every day to learn more of what God expects? That's important for us to do. Walking is something people have an aversion to often. Uh, I learned years ago from a guy's example, every chance I get, I'm going to park as far away from the store as I can and walk. Because most of us don't walk. Now, 
it was nothing for me and, and work to walk 22, 23,000 steps a day as they measure steps. That was nothing. That was just part of the job of overseeing things. And we didn't ride anywhere doing it. It was all on the premise, but it was, uh, it was a lot of walking for years. As carpenters, as builders, you walk a lot. But the average American doesn't, and so we lose sight of the illustration of the walking. So let's talk about this for a minute. Walking is one of the best exercises for the soul. That means that going through life with spiritual obstacles, spiritual friction, for example, it takes energy to propel yourself down a sidewalk or across a path. It takes energy. You've got to use some energy. You've got to get up get out there and walk. It's the same thing with your soul. The Lord will give you times of solitude. Uh, he'll give you times of, of quietness. But that's not going to be the majority of your life. We find nowhere in Scripture, Old or New Testament, where God recommends a monastic lifestyle, like, you know, like a monastery, monastic. In other words, this quiet, monastic, similar to mono as in one, this one sheltered lifestyle. The monastery concept came from, well, maybe I can live and follow God and, and do better by not having all these outside things. Now, I didn't tell you go down to the pub. I didn't say put wicked things before your eyes or listen to rotten music and rotten philosophy or even rotten preaching. But we often have an aversion as Christians from the need to walk with God in this world. I have illustrations I use with people on soul health. I'm going to use them later in our lessons. But you picture that your life is has circles in it. You have the circle of your life and the it's it's a circle because God's at the middle and your life does go in cycles, round and round. Someone said, well, you know, you Bible-believing people, you draw lines of certain things. Well, a circle is a line. It's a line that comes around and touches itself. It's, it represents eternity. It represents continuance. You draw a line and you're in the, the world circle because you live in this world. Circle of the globe. Okay, But you don't let the world in your circle. The three Hebrew children, they were in captivity, in the circle of captivity, but they didn't let the religion and the paganism into their circle. Now that got them put into the fiery furnace. That got Daniel put into the lion's den, and God took care of it. Sometimes he doesn't, it says in Hebrews chapter 11. But they walked with God. So walking is one of the best exercises for the soul. There's a sense in which we need to embrace the daily life under God. We need to embrace the resistance against our walking in truth so that we realize that for our soul to stay healthy, it has to be exercised. We looked at Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 13 last session. In most of these sessions, we're not going to spend a, an inordinate amount of time going back and doing it again. We're just going to 
you know, leave it to the student, to the disciple, to build on these matters. And so get their Bible out and listen to them and make some notes. So how is, in these lines under walking is one of the best exercises for soul, how is your soul walking going? Are you putting on the shoes of the gospel as it talks about in Ephesians chapter 6? I'll give you an illustration. You say, well, what would, how was having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace? Example. We know the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection for our sins of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus said, take up your cross. Cross is an instrument of death. Cross is a place where I die to self, and as, Paul, as the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Okay? When I'm putting on the shoes of the gospel, when I'm putting on the boots of the gospel for walking through this world, I'm taking my will, which is symbolized, our feet symbolize the will of a person. When they show worship, when they show, you know, revering, they bow at someone's feet. In Joshua, when he wanted to symbolize that they were going to defeat these kings, he brought the kings, he had them lay, he laid them down, and he had the elders put their foot on their throat. Your foot is your will. And so the picture is that walking is one of the best exercises of the soul because you tell your feet where to walk because you, sh you have them shod. When your feet are not shod, that is shoes on them. That's what shod is. They call it this day. When you put shoes on a horse, they said we had him shod. Okay? It's just shoed without the E in it. It's really simple. When your feet are bare, your feet tell you where to go. Prickle patch. Stickers. Burrs. Uh, even rocks and gravel and bits of glass or whatever. When your feet are bare... Your feet tell you where to go. When your feet are shod, you tell your feet where to go. So, when I apply the cross to my will, okay? When I apply the cross to my will, and I do that, what I'm doing is I'm equipping myself to tell my will, exercise my will for God. So, my feet are shod. My will is constrained by God. It is submitted. It has died to self. So my will is dead to myself, and it's alive to God. I did this once uh, in church, in Sunday school. I gave this illustration. I got me a big old, like a refrigerator box, you know, appliance box, and I cut it up where it flattened right out. And I flattened it out, and I had a bucket of rocks. And I had a couple other containers hidden out of sight. So I laid the rocks out there and I said, does anybody uh, want to take their boots off, shoes off, and walk across this? And a couple people raised their hand. I said, I thought so. So then I put out a thing, had a jar of nails, and I poured them in there. They were, they were like roofing tacks and all different sizes, so some of them would naturally stick up, as you know they do, if you've ever run over them and had to get your tire repaired. And a couple, one fellow still stuck his hand. I knew he had really tough feet. And then I took a jar from underneath there and I took a hammer and I broke it and sp spread the glass over it. And I didn't have any takers after that. So then I picked the smallest woman there, smallest, you know, weakest, you might say, you know, not some tough guy. 
and I took had a pair of boots under there. I had to put the boots out. They were a bit big on her. They weren't hers. And put them on and tied them. And I had her walk back and forth across that, across the gravel, the nails, the glass, all of it. You getting the picture? With her feet shod, she could do that. Picture of when your will is submitted, when your will's been to the cross, what happens? You can do what God wants you to do. Your soul is strong. Your soul is healthy. So walking is one of the best exercises for the soul. And so you can put on those lines that I equip myself to walk, for example, by putting on the shoes of the gospel, by submitting to the cross of Christ, by letting it crucify me. That truth has been with me for a long time. It's helped me a lot. A lot. We're not going to go through all those other pieces of armor. That particular thing is about walking. And I can promise you that you, your feet are going to tell you where to go when they're bare. Oh, some of you might have tougher feet than others and all that kind of stuff. I get all that. But you know what I'm telling you. So, when we did building, construction, if somebody showed up in little dinky soft footwear, you knew they weren't going to be able to work as hard and as fast as someone who had on real true work boots because they could tell their feet where to go instead of their feet saying, ooh, ooh, that's going to hurt me. That's going to this, that. And their, their little soft shoes communicating all that to their feet. So when we die to self, it enables us to walk. And so walking is one of the best exercises of the soul. Walking in this world requires us to put the shoes of the gospel on if we're going to be effective. All right, the second thing is that warring is essential to your soul's health. We've got references there. And they're there. You can mark them in your Bible later and stuff. But I want them right in front of your eyes. Look, dearly beloved, 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. 1 Peter 2.8, <coughs> For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Some people, that's about Lot, by the way, in 2 Peter 2.8. Now, some people got this idea that Lot was totally happy there. He wasn't happy. He knew better. He'd been uh, disciplined and discipled and traveled with Abraham. He had a better conscience. But he had sold his conscience out. He dulled his conscience. But it says he vexed his righteous soul from day to day. It vexed him to live there in Sodom, and he lost very much through it. Before it was over, all he had was two of his daughters and ended up bearing children by them. Amnon and Moab. The third verse, 1 Peter 1, 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Ready? Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now I'll say this to you. The rule of this world is decay. It is decline. Uh, it is disease. I, I could go on and on. It's death. The rule of this world is death. 
why don't you add another verse in there? And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Timothy 1, 18. Write that in. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So walking is one of the best exercises for your soul, and warring is essential to your soul's health. Now, having a warlike mentality is not like fighting God, you know, like your lust warring inside you. That's not. That's not going to give you soul health. So what are we talking about? Well, the the rule of the world is decay and decline, disease and death. And that's something you could put in there, however that hits you in that, that line there. In other words, the default, okay, of this world, what it's set on, what will happen every time, anywhere, any system is decay and decline and disease and eventually death. We are literally born to die. Nobody's going to beat it. I mean, if the rapture comes, save people at the catching away of the church, they'll beat it. But that's a little teeny tiny exception to the entire rule of life. So, to have a healthy soul. Now, would you get this for a minute? Having a healthy checkbook is great. It's good if you have it. Having a healthy body is really nice if you have it. Having some healthy, you know, uh, environment to live in is, is, is wonderful. Someone said, well, if I got healthy relationships, you know, your relationships aren't, aren't truly healthy on a spiritual level, unless your soul is healthy. And you might have other people that put up with you. Okay? I get that. You might have that. You might have people that put up with you, and that's how it stays healthy. But I would say this. It's not healthy unless you're healthy inside of you. So what if your soul was the beginning of how you look at life. In our verses, look, abstain. 1 Peter 2, abstain. Okay? Uh, he says, obey. 1 Peter 1, 22. He says, fight the good fight. He says, war a good warfare. It, 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 it requires abstaining sometimes. It requires adding to your life. 2 Peter chapter 1. It requires applying it. It requires action. The war is not carnal warfare. The war is not against a government. The war is not against the system. The war is not against your neighbor. The war is in the soul. And it's a war for soul health. That war has to do with it, for example, uh, what we spend our time thinking about and seeing and watching and listening to. What we use our words for. What we do with our body. See, it's not a matter of being obsessed with physical fitness and looks and all that. It is a matter of saying, I want my body to, I'm going to keep under my body, keep it under, 1 Corinthians 9, for what purpose? So that my soul's health will be strong. When my soul is strong, it will affect my body, heart, mind, everything. And I I really want in this series to help you as a believer understand that if you apply these things and you think about, Lord, 
how's my soul doing today? You say, well, I, I, I don't want to take a, feel, a measure of my feelings. I'm not talking about feelings. I'm not talking about whether you like the weather or not. I'm not talking about whether you like the season or not. Or your job or not. You know, if we're not careful, we will immediately go to the default of the flesh or the default of a lukewarm type Christianity. Walking is one of the best exercises. Warring is essential to your soul's health. You have to declare war on the things that hurt your soul's health. You know, if you thought about that, I, I'm guessing that most of the time a person who hasn't been conscious of these things before, a Christian, wanting to walk with God, wanting to know God, and, and even if you've been at it a while, things could creep in. You stop and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little stock take here. I'm going to take a little inventory of my life. Am I warring against the things that hinder my soul health? A person could be very active physically. They could be very active ministry-wise. And it's good to be. But their soul could be hurting from it. Or their soul could even be taken captive. Because the fleshly lust war against the soul, 1 Peter 2.11. The, the unlawful deeds of the world vex your soul if you associate with them. And he said in 1 Peter 1 that you purify your soul in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And he says, on the unfeigned love of the brethren. So a genuine love for God's people doesn't mean you have to compromise the things that are absolutely right. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean if someone professes to be a Christian, you're like, oh, it's so wonderful, you're a Christian. Oh, it's so wonderful. No, Paul gives all kind of warnings about separation from people who are wrong in their doctrine, wrong in their spirit, etc. So we're not talking about that. But we are saying that you say, Lord, I can't let something in here it's going to hinder my love of the brethren, of God's people. In 1 Timothy 6, he says, fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 1.18, he said, by them, what? The scriptures, war, good warfare. So warring is essential to your soul's health. Now, because of that, we have things like, and whole series on them, people do. I've done them. Others have. Hundreds, thousands uh, on the armor of God, Ephesians 6, for example. But right now, we're, we're taking this series to look at the big picture. So as continued part of, almost you could say, introduction, we're noticing here that warring is essential to your soul's health. Number three, the Word is to help with this warfare against the soul. We pointed out 1 Peter 1.22 in the middle there, obeying the truth through the Spirit. And, and our verse here in Acts 14, confirming the souls of the disciples, and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, let's, let's put that in context. If you want to zip over to Acts chapter 14, that'd be great. Because in the context of what we're going to look at, <coughs> Paul gets saved in Acts 9. Almost immediately, God starts you know, exposing him to teaching and preaching and testifying. Somewhere along there, we know that he goes and he spends time with the Lord and the Lord gives him the mysteries of the kingdom of God, etc. He, he reinforces, confirms his calling to the Gentiles. But then, and this is very important, but then what happens is 
we find out that the Apostle Paul preaches the gospel, but he sends, spends a great deal of effort and time and energy and uh, suffering in doing what the verse says there in Acts 14. Let's pick it up in verse 19. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul drew him out of the city supposing he'd been dead. Many believe that this is over to that this is referred to in 2 Corinthians 12. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him doesn't say how long at the comma he rose up and came into the city and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now watch, confirming the souls of the disciples. This is where uh, many traditional so-called religions, whether it be Orthodox or Roman Catholic, this is where they pull the word from. Don't, don't go away from the Bible because somebody took a word and said something. He's confirming them. They call it confirmation. Well, that's what we all need. We need confirmation. We just don't need their kind of confirmation. Amen. Confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter in the kingdom of God. So let's think about this. You can only walk in truth, all the way to the top of our page, 3 John, verses 3 and 4. You can only walk in the truth as you know the truth. Will, will the Holy Spirit help your conscience? Absolutely. But will the Holy Spirit tell you what the Bible says without you reading it or hearing it? No. Child of God, listen, if you've been saved, say 5, 10, 15, 20 years, be real careful thinking that where you're at today is a result of you just reading your Bible and being around God. And, and allow, you, you allow yourself to forget how much people put into you and why you know your Bible. I am so amazed at Christians. They see somebody get saved and they expect them to know what God wants, expect their conscience to be soft and all that. And they act as if nobody ever taught them or, or had to persevere with them till they learned. But, but someone did. There's no doubt about it because it's God's way. On one of those lines beneath this third point, you should write, what is my truth? I would say to you, what is your truth? I didn't say, determine truth by what is your truth. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, what is your truth? You need to know, what is your truth? In other words, there are things you believe, most likely, that aren't the truth, but they're your truth. It may be some homespun attitude that, that because someone hurt you, you developed or because you don't want something repeated in your life that you've experienced and you've developed it. It could be all kind of things. It could be some safeguard that psychologically, you know, you've done in your life. Or someone handed on to you. Or you heard somebody saying, well, that sounds good. So what your truth is does not determine what, what truth is. But you got to know, what's my truth? In this passage of Scripture, I've is where I've got my phrase that I've used with men many a times when we were in, you know, difficult circumstances. I'd say, cheer up, fellas. It'll get worse. Because he said we must, through much tribulation, enter in the kingdom of God. He didn't say that that tribulation gives you the keys to the kingdom and entrance. He's talking about the path from salvation 
it's this is illustrative from from salvation to the pearly gates okay that's what he's talking about salvation to the pearly gates now look at psalm 11 we're going to add in there and and those three lines you've got room to add stuff psalm 11 so I've, i've left room for you to add some stuff from time to time psalm 11 maybe mark it in your bible there are times when you're going to hear voices. Now, hopefully you don't hear them like, you know, the kind of people they classify as, you know, off their rocker. But there are. He said he said in, in there in 1 John, Beloved, believe not every spirit, every spirit that confesseth, etc. So voices are just words that go through your head primarily. Look at Psalm 11, verse 1. In the Lord put I my trust... Ready? How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? So thoughts, voices, try to pressure you. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. This part of the world and this part of the country, it's hunting season. There's all kinds of different hunting season. Right now it's deer and stuff like that. And it's also usually set aside as bow season, prior to gun season, uh, which starts, you know, first few gunshots, let every creature and critter know, uh, you know, this is a dangerous time of the year. If you've ever shot a bow, the picture is amazing. They bend their bow, make ready that arrow upon the string that they may what? Privately shoot at the upright and heart. Uh, the average bow shot is very quiet compared to anything else. In verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So I've written, for example, in the margin of many of my copies of the King James Bible, maintain it. Maintain your foundation. Maintain, 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 maintain. Uh, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, brimstone, and horrible tempests. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. See, those voices say to you, run, flee, flee. You know, sometimes you're going to have a thought that says, man, uh, I need to get away from that Bible. Every time I do, something tough happens. I need to get away from witness. And every time I do, something difficult comes my way. Yeah, it probably will. You're in a battle that's the battle of all battles, the fight of faith, the good warfare. You're you're in the middle of God doing the work of God in your soul. Okay? Listen, reading and marking your Bible, especially those Psalms, which I'm really going to encourage you to just try this for the couple months that these lessons go on. Uh, The reading and marking your Bible and where you see the word soul, circle it and mark it. Uh, for example, in verse 1, I've got circled. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul? See that inner health, that soul health. You know over in Ephesians 5, if you want to jot it down, verse 19 through 21, he talks about verse 18 to 21, really, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, talking to yourself. When we sin, if you're over there in Psalms still, go to Psalm 41. When we sin, when we have 
a bad thought or we allow it to come in there, a critical thought, a negative thought. It's not always just, I mean, lust is bad, but it's not just that. What about the lust of vindication? Uh, sometimes it's just the lust of leisure, of getting out of the fight, of letting the pressure off. Psalm 41, verse 4, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Now watch. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. When we sin, it wounds our conscience. God wants to heal that. He wants us to have soul health. Walking is one of the best exercises for your soul. And warring is essential to your soul's health. You, you have to put some effort into it. You have to set up some boundaries. You have to set up some practices and routine. You have to get to know that book so you can handle it correctly. For the defense and health of your soul. You put in the good things, you cut out the other things. And then the third thing is the Word is to help with this warfare against the soul. You know, you've heard for years, or you've heard consistently, if you've only been saved a short period of time, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. It's not a good luck charm. It's not a spell. It's not a sacrament. Okay? It's, it's not like doing some sort of a penance. It's not like counting beads. No, it's about your soul's health. The Word is to help with this warfare against the soul. It keeps us strong. It corrects us. It keeps us healthy. It equips us. All those things that we're going to talk about. And so let us remember... That we need to be very conscious, first and foremost, of our soul's health. Lord bless you and good day.